0: Uh, we have been uh, in a series here for a few weeks now called The Holy Spirit, uh, where we've been taking an in-depth look at who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does, especially in the life of the believer, because I've noticed the Holy Spirit can often be ignored even by Christians um, or cause confusion among Christians, and we just really don't want to be a church like that, really. We want to be a church that knows the Holy Spirit, that benefits from his presence. And just as a quick recap, because I know that, I mean, I've met new people here this morning, so as a recap, especially, uh, it may, maybe this is, I don't know, maybe this is your first time here uh, at, at a church ever, um, you might be feeling a bit lost, let me just recap what we've been, what we've seen in the last couple of weeks, is what we've seen is that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God himself. You have the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and you have the Spirit. And he brings life, and he brings life with power. And in in the life, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, in the life of the Christian, the Holy Spirit tells us, helps us to know who we are in Christ. That we are children of God, and that God is our Father, and that he is close. That's what we've looked at so far, that's what we've seen so far and last time we were here at the Shaw Center, um, Rich was speaking from Galatians chapter 4, and this morning we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, please turn uh, to the book of Galatians, the chapter 5, and if you don't have a Bible, don't worry, the words are going to come up on the screen beside me. Let's read from verse 16 together. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church in Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey, and he says this, But I say, Faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So I used to, um, back when I was in England, I used to work for the software company. And what we would do about once a month is that the whole team, the whole company would pile into this conference room to have a meeting. And we also, like at the time, we were working with this other company on this software project. So the whole, this whole other company would also pile into this conference room. And th- this meeting would go on for hours and there would always be this moment where someone who was leaving the meeting would say something like, so it goes without saying, but, and then they would talk for 20 minutes or 25 minutes, and I would be sat there going, Yeah, this all, went without, this all went without saying. This goes without saying. And then at the end, the person would say, Well, all of that, it goes without saying. Have you ever been in a meeting like that? It's, it's frustrating. And I knew these other people in the room, some of them were packed in there, they were getting paid a huge amount more money than I was. And listen, if I knew all the things already, these guys definitely did. These were smart, bright people. And so it, these meetings can be really boring, but at the same time kind of exhilarating from all looking around, going, "Wow, that, the money's just burning away. <laughs> it goes without saying. You know, I, I wonder if some of us have just read what we've just read. In Galatians chapter five, we may be thinking the same sort of thing. Is Paul just doing, as he's writing to the Galatians here, doing the same sort of "it goes without saying" type of thing? I mean, if we if we look at what Paul says here, he's essentially laying before the Galatian church two lists. There's a list of bad things, and he's saying don't do them, and he's he's also saying here the list of good things, do them. I mean, surely that's what well, that's all. Paul is saying, that's the sermon here, do the good things, don't do the bad things, amen, let's stand and sit. Like, is, is that what Paul's saying here? Here's Paul essentially just put in before the Galatian church two possible buffet tables, and he's saying, okay, you're stood there with your plate, what are you gonna heap up on that? Are you gonna heap up the good stuff or the bad stuff? Try and get as much of the good stuff, the vegetables, as you can, and try and get as little as the, the rubbish stuff on that plate as you can get. I mean, if he is saying that, can I just make an observation? There is nothing actually, if you think about it, distinctly Christian about that message. It might be nice, you might go, oh yes, I I like the idea, but there's nothing nothing gospel-ish about that, is there? I, you, you could go to anyone of any faith, any religion, even people who aren't religious in the slightest, nice secular humanist, or a nice person outside running by, stop them in the middle of their race, and go, what do you think about this? You should do with your life, do the good things and not the bad things? They'd go, why have you stopped me? But sure, yes, I get it. <laughs> oh, that's, that's how I want to live my life. That's, that's all very well and good, but there's nothing very Christian or gospel-ish or Jesus-ish about that, is there? The problem with this reading is I actually don't think that's Paul's main concern right here. He's not merely saying, do this, don't do that. To be sure, I mean, Paul, he totally isn't scared. He isn't afraid to name specific actions or patterns and attitudes that he says in God's eyes, this is righteous, or in God's eyes, this is not I mean, that much is obvious. We read the same Galatians 5 together, didn't we? He, he goes into detail. He's not afraid to name things, but Paul here, he's talking about matters that run far, far deeper than just moralizing that you could find anywhere, on any, any place you wandered into on a Sunday morning. See, we see this when we recognize that what Paul means, what does he mean when he talks about the flesh, and what does he mean when he talks about the spirit? They're sort of odd phrases. They might not normally fall out of our mouths in everyday conversation. What is the flesh that Paul talks about? It's a weird phrase because it might be one that conjures up kind of images of raw meat But we, I mean, we tend not to use it. But for Paul, the flesh is. A bit of shorthand to talk not merely about one's tendency, your tendency, my tendency to sometimes do bad things. Paul is actually uses it, he uses it mainly to talk about life outside of Jesus altogether. Life in the flesh is life that is apart from Jesus. It is life that is disconnected from God. And the opposite to that is life in the spirit, which is life reconciled to God. You were once an enemy of God, but now you've become a Christian, you are friends with Jesus. See, far from being concerned just about simple external actions that you or I might do, Paul is actually concerned here with two different realities of the soul. Do you see, it's much bigger than just what you might do or what you might not do. Paul here is describing two different spiritual worlds, and you and I are either living in one or the other. We're either living in the flesh or we are living in the Spirit. You see that, don't you? For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to to each other. You see, the flesh and the spirit are totally conflicting realms to be in. There are desires that, that come from each of them that you just that you do not fit with one another. In, in, not even a little bit, they don't fit in the slightest. I mean, Paul says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul asks the question, like, where do those in the flesh end up? And Paul says, you know what, it's not with God. I mean, Rich was preaching this a couple of weeks ago, wasn't he? That, that, that those who are Christians, that those who are reconciled to God, have this glorious identity, not as slaves. It's not that you become a a Christian, and you kind of go one level up, and now you're a servant. No, you—you you know what? You are. If you are a Christian here this morning, then you are welcomed in, and you are a child of God. And if you are a, you are a child of God, then you are an heir. That was the word in Galatians chapter four, wasn't it? An heir. What do heirs do? Well, if you're an heir of God, you inherit the kingdom. That's just how it is. Whether you feel like that or not, Paul doesn't want anyone in the Galatian church pretending. They're children of God when all the evidence, all of the evidence in their lives is just evidence to the contrary. You know, for for Paul, that's actually something worth warning about. Even worth warning multiple times, more than once. He says, I warn you as I warned you before. Because if you're not a child of God, I mean, in Paul's mind, you're, you're missing out. You're missing out on this glorious identity. You're missing out on this ability to, to relate to God, to know God as your loving Heavenly Father every day, to, to have the assurance that tomorrow morning, that's that's how you will be when you wake up. See, so the, the, the upshot of all of this is that it's actually impossible to live entirely in the flesh if if you are a child of God, because those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. The flesh has been crucified, it's been killed, it's been dead along with its passions and desires. Now, I reckon that for all Christians in the room who've been listening to the last five minutes of what I've been saying, if you're a Christian in the room and you have even the slightest bit of self-honesty about yourself, there's actually something in what I've been saying that's actually been quite concerning. Maybe you might... Be finding yourself growing even a little bit nervous. Because in that in that list, Paul gives, you know, all the bad stuff, all those self-evident works of the flesh. We can probably, if we if we have that bit of self-honesty, we can probably pick out five or six things in that list that have troubled us as Christians this week. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Three people nodded there. <laughs> Some of us have that self-honesty, some of us don't. That's okay. I can look down that list and I can see temptation for the popular head of this week from this list of fleshly things. It's troubling, isn't it? Because if this is the case, everything I've been saying about you are either in the flesh or you are in the spirit, I mean, what does Paul say? Those who belong to Christ Jesus, if you belong to him, it, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified. That has happened. That's what, what's already happened. And if that is what has already happened, what are we then to do with all of these desires that seem to come from the flesh? What do we do when we notice our envy, our fits of anger, our idolatry? Is all of that just evidence, you know what, you knew it all along, you were just kidding yourself. You're not really a child of God. Is, is that what's going on? Well, not not quite, not quite. Now, I I should say, if there is literally no evidence of the grace of God, of God's power at work in your life, then yeah, you know what, that that is something to be concerned about, but Paul absolutely knows that in this life, there's still an element of waging war Against our own desires. That's that's the language that Paul himself puts to it. Just a few years, two or three years before writing this letter to the Galatian church, Paul writes another letter to a different church, this time in the Greek city of Corinth. And he says this, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Even if, as Christians, we are in the Spirit, and if we are Christians, we are, that is the case. The old, the old fleshly body is still around, and the same, sometimes the same desires still linger. And we can still go back, for sure, we can still go back and live as if we are in the flesh, and pretend to be slaves, rather than the sons of God that we are. See, what in practice is it then, to live as if we are in the spirit, as opposed to life spent in the flesh. Well, one way I've heard it talked about before is the difference between living in the flesh and in the spirit is the is the difference between rowing and sailing. So when you're rowing, we you can bring up the picture of, of someone rowing. If you go anywhere, right, it's all about your own energy. Right, it's all about the power, what you can bring someone up from your own muscles. If you go anywhere, that's all on you. Live life in the flesh, it's the same thing. Let's say you wake up tomorrow, as, as I learned. hope you will, and mm-hmm. you have this prospect of living that day. You want to live this day in a way that is holy and righteous. right? If you try and do it in the flesh, then it's all your own white-knuckled effort. If you get anywhere, it's by putting your own muscles to work. The problem with that, of course, is that our flesh fails. And when it fails, oh, it fails hard, doesn't it? I mean, if you have to summon up, let's just pick one of those spirit things, love, right? You have to summon up some love, pick one at random. Maybe on a good day, You'll be able to do a bit of love. Or at the very least, you'll be loving to the people that you actually like. <laughs> but you're not, probably not going to be loving to the people you don't like. Or the people that, you know, when Jesus says, Oh, love, love your enemies, you're going to go, Oh, even on your very best day, you're going to find that really hard. And you know what, on your worst day, you're actually going to find it hard to love the people that you do like. If you're honest. If you're honest. You'll find it it's impossible to love those you naturally hate all those who are your enemies. You just want to find that power within. You know, I, I last night I, I Googled um, uh, hard rowing because I just wanted a picture. You'd be surprised just how many you'd Google hard rowing, just got loads of pictures of dudes throwing up. Aww. And like, there was this blog post on this on this rowing <laughs> website that was just titled why do we throw up? Like, I just like the idea of like a couple of dozen rowing people going, why do we throw up? I don't know, I'm back in the boat. I'm never going to be a rowing individual. I mean, maybe I wasn't going to be, but it, it doesn't appeal to me. Like, this, is, this is one option. and You, you can't fake the fruits of the Spirit by living in the flesh, because life in the flesh is all about your strength or your lack of it. When we try and do things, you know, the right thing by our flesh, what we find is actually we end up falling back into the works of the flesh. Try and do things by the flesh, you'll end up doing the list of things in the flesh. Even if you manage to, you, you feel like you're really getting somewhere. Oh, I'm doing so well by my own strength. I'm just, I'm living the moral life. You end up in idolatry. Like, there's no other way around it. And when you realise that, when you know what that just discourages you, Further, It just makes you go just spiritually depressed, and you just think, oh, it makes it even harder to wake up the next day and try again, doesn't it? Yeah. So that's one option, the rowing option, the life in the flesh option. Sailing is a bit different from rowing, isn't it? Yes, I've noticed the same thing. <laughs> yes, well, how is it different? <laughs> well, when you're, when, you're, when you're rowing, the power for you to get anywhere... Is all internal. When you're sailing, however, the power isn't internal, is it? It's external. The wind fills the sails, and oh, off you go, skipping across the water. Life in the spirit is is sailing. It's not rowing as Christians we have the very spirit of God we have God himself and he lives us in us and therefore we have a strength and we have a power and we have an energy the source of which does not lie within ourselves we have the helper remember remember when Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the helper and you know what the helper actually helps he actually does how does the Spirit help? Well, firstly, the Spirit of God gives us a new heart. This is crucial. Which means all our desires start to change, they begin to change, you see. Whereas before, we didn't want to live the right way, or we did, but we also didn't at the same time, because we can be complex like that. we try tried anyway. What we find is that rather than having to do the good things, the right things, go to that buffet table, not that one, Doing the good things. Actually, what we want we find is that we actually want to do the right things. And that can be weird, actually. Like, a quick story of this, right? I back in England I knew this guy called Luke. And and Luke, he was uh, in the British Navy, he'd been in you know on deployments for like four years, and he became a Christian while he was on deployment. And beforehand his language was fruity. <laughs> it was it could be quite like he swore like a sailor because But then he got saved and he got baptized, and immediately, like what he found was the way he talked was different. Like he would go, he would open his mouth to say something, and then find he didn't say it. It was like this is weird, this is strange. Like he would use the name of Jesus very differently after he became a Christian. Say this is this is really weird, but that's. That's what it means. When, when there's a new heart, when the Holy Spirit comes and puts a brand new heart in there, you know what happens? Desires change. And it was weird for Luke, but you know what? It was actually really encouraging as well because he, he, he was living in this really challenging environment. And you know what? He was still looking at his life going, there are some, some desires that I'm still waiting to kind of catch up as it were. But he could look at that and he was you know what? There is a fundamental spiritual change. Has taken place. He was able to look at that and just go, you know what? I, I just know this is not naturally. It's not what the old Luke would be like. I, could, I, I definitely have been born again. See, firstly, the Spirit comes and He gives us a new heart. And if you're a Christian, that's what's happened for you. Secondly, the Spirit is a continual source of empowerment. I mean, this is what Jesus says, doesn't He? Book of John. He says this. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's what Jesus says. And then John adds this little extra postscript to that, just in case we might be a bit confused by what Jesus means here. John says, now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Rivers of living water. That is is the image of life in the Spirit. The Christian's meant to experience that. We're not talking about this sort of stagnant pool of water that just sits there and slowly over time decreases. No, that's not. That's not the image of the Christian life to Jesus. No, it's, it's rivers. Rivers, not just. One river, we're not talking about a little dribble as if someone hasn't quite turned off the bathroom tap properly. No, we've we've got to be imagining like multiple fire hydrants just going off and chucking water all over the place. That is the image of the Christian life. This sort of colossal amount of life just flowing everywhere. See, life in the flesh is like rowing, but life in the spirit, it's like sailing. This is a source of empowerment that we are to draw upon every day. A concern that I have, can I bring up a concern that I have? The concern I have is that some of us, maybe even many of us, though we are Christians, we are trying to live the spirit life in the flesh. Yeah. Mm. We're trying to do the spirit things love and patience. Self control with strength that comes from our own effort and hard work and sweat and blood and tears. And some of us, we're trying to do, we're trying to not do the fleshly things, sexual immorality, idolatry, envy, dissensions, and so on. We're trying to do all of that from this white knuckled inner strength place. And we are surprised when we end up finding ourselves doing more of the the in-the-flesh stuff. And as a result, we're discouraged. Which only again knocks our ability to try again the next day, and so the cycle and the pattern continues. I mean, Paul, Paul knew that kind of cycle very well. In fact, he really didn't want the Galatian church to fall into this mistake. And here's what he says. Galatians chapter 3, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You can tell. You can can tell Paul is upset here. He's fired up. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Oh, foolish Galatians. I mean, Paul is getting indignant here. He's getting worked up. You know what? Paul is even angry. He's like, who is it who has tricked you? It's like for Paul, someone has cast a spell on the Galatian church. Who has persuaded them. Who is it who's persuaded you so wrongly, he wants to get to the bottom of it? He says, listen, if you began by the Spirit, as in if you became a Christian because the Spirit of God came to you and your spiritual corpse, your your bunch of bones and the Spirit of God came, breathed on those bones and now you're alive, you were once dead, now you're alive, you've been born again. If, If that has happened and that is a miracle and nothing less, why do you think then, Galatian church, Grace City Church, that the way that you then continue in that miracle is by your own effort of obeying the law and doing the rules and the regulations. Why do you think it doesn't make sense? It's not, Paul says, it's not getting you anywhere. That's exactly what's happening for the Galatian church. You're falling back into rules and regulations, human made, trying to be holy by actions rather than resting and what Jesus had already done on the cross and continuing and being empowered by the Spirit. Christians in the room 2,000 years later are you doing the same thing? Are you regularly find yourself beating yourself up over your own failings and then trying again in your own strength. Is there any sense of when you you go to pray to God, you go, ooh, I don't feel good enough. Ah, I need to go and clean myself up a bit, have a few good days, and then I can come back and pray. Just a little tests for you there. If there is, there's a sign that you're not relying or not trusting God's Spirit to actually do what he says he will do and bring to completion the work that God has promised that he would do. Those are the two options for us and how we live our lives. Are we going to do the, the rowing thing in the flesh thing, or are we going to do it in the, the sailing thing, in the spirit, empowered by God? And you know what? Some of us, even though we might be tracking with what I'm saying here, we might be thinking, actually, I want, there's a part of me that really wants to do. But in the flesh thing. Like, I want something to do. man. I thought you were going to give me stuff and I could go and put my effort in, lean into it, put my shoulder in there and really try hard. There's something in us that might even want that message. Like, I remember being in a, um, a like, a, some Christian event some at some conference centre somewhere. I remember just, like, looking through the, the books in the Christian bookshelf bit of the conference. I remember picking up, it was one of those, you ever come across these Christian Books for men, manly Christian book. They always have like a block serif font on it because it's a Christian book for men. Um, it's also very short. because <laughs> men are illiterate or something. They think something like that. But I'm I'm looking at it was a book from men, the main thing was pornography, right? That was the subject of all the things in the spirit. This was well, things in the flesh, this is what the book was about. And i remember just, like, flicking through it. I knew this book was, everyone was raving about this book. This one, top of the religious category on Amazon, like, best-selling Christian book. And I just remember, it was a short book, so I could, like, read quite a bit of it without paying for it. But I didn't want to pay for it, and I'll tell you why. (laughs) It's because what I found inside was just a bunch of stuff for men to do. It was just strategies. It was just tactics. And sometimes it was doing this motivational, "Come on, guys, we can do this." And sometimes it was doing like, "Come on, guys, what are you doing?" Like, and it was just. And I I remember I was like eighteen or something. I was looking for Galatians three, and I was looking for Galatians five, and it wasn't in there. There was no 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 gospel. There was all this like, "Come on." Put your back into it. Get rowing, guys. I just remember thinking, ah, this is what sells books. Like, there's something even within Christians, within some of us, who want, we want to be given something to do, Mm. and we don't want to just go, oh God, I need to trust in you. You know what it looks like for me? Because, I mean, Paul says, quite. he doesn't even say, like, sailing, right? For some of us, we we hear sailing, but I don't know how you sail. Wigging and big bits of fabric, and you've got to float. Like, how does any of that work? It's not. Paul. He doesn't. He doesn't use that metaphor. He says, you know what? Walk. Walk in the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Sounds simple. It is simple. I, this is this is how it looks like for me. Okay, on a day-to-day basis, I I, I, I I kneel down and I say, God, I need you. God, I don't have the strength in me to. To put my back into the awe, I don't have the strength in me to live life in the spirit, but you do, and you've given your 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 very spirit, your very presence to me. So would you help me, Spirit? Would you come and fill me? Would you would you tell me all the things I need to hear about who I am in Jesus? Would you, Would you tell me that I am a child of God and let me let me not live in my own? My own strength. No, let me live my own weakness and in your strength. So, come, on, Holy Spirit, would you would you help me today? That that's what it looks like for me. That's where I'm at right now. Because I want to, you know, with this whole sailing metaphor. Like, right, what I'm not saying is that sailing there is no effort. I'm not saying that. Right? If any of you have ever been sailing, you'll know you just hop into the boat and go, whoa, magic. I'm off. No, there's there's often this thing we. You, you've got to get the sails up, right? you got to be, there's this positioning, there's an angling thing, so you actually catch the, the, the wind. And that's what, that's, that's the attitude I want to have in my heart, just going, God, I want to be open to you. I want to be led by the Spirit. I want to keep in step today. You going over here, okay, I'm going to step with you over here. I want to, to go over that. I just want to be tuned in and listening to what the Spirit is doing the sort of attitude, I don't want to have. And you know, sometimes I wake up and I don't want to do that. And I made me feel really confident. Like I wake up and I'm just like, yeah, I can do this day. Come on, today, I've got you. And I realize, I've realised now, uh, after doing that enough, that it's on those days I need to get down on my knees all the more, because I really need God on those days. I can't do it in my own strength. We have to... Have grace for ourselves even as we continue to learn how to walk by the Spirit, keeping in step with the, the Holy Spirit of God, because you know what? You and I are going to fall down a lot. And here's the thing that really encourages me here from Galatians 5 because when Paul said, after talking about the works, the works of the flesh, he then talks about the what of the Spirit? Gifts. Yes. The what of the Spirit? This is audience participation? Fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. I love that. I love that so much because if it is fruit, if all of these things self control and, and joy and peace and patience, if they are fruit of the Spirit, then these are things that grow over time. Mm-hmm. Like no one goes one day and puts a, a seed in the ground and wakes up the next day and kicks down the door and goes, where's my pear tree? <laughs> I planted a pear tree ten... Uh, hours ago, and it's breakfast, and I want some pears, I don't see, like, no one does that. At least I hope no one does that. <laughs> Fruit is something that grows, it's something that emerges over time, isn't it? Yeah. Jesus, I love how Jesus, he goes back to agricultural metaphors constantly, he talks about farmers sowing seed, a mustard seed that takes ages to grow, and ends up eventually as this huge tree. You know, if you're a newer, newer Christian, by God's grace, one of the most exciting things about Grace City Church is that I look around the room and there's a bunch of new Christians. You've discovered all of what I'm talking about, about being born again in the last year or so. It's amazing, I love it. You may be quite impatient to grow in the in the fruits of the Spirit. Mm. You might be feeling even maybe a part in the song a bit of a failure, because you're like, oh, I've got so far to go, I'm not there yet. And there's a sense in that about Good, like I'm glad you you want to be more like Jesus. But the Lord in this one is please don't try and do that in your own strength, Mm -hmm. or in your own time, or in your own power, because that doesn't go well. Trust that God He's promised that He will bring to completion the work that He started. Let Him do it in His power. As a church, let's do this, let's rely on God together. Do life together. Empowered by the Spirit and the Spirit alone, we will get somewhere. Why? Because He says we will. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's already happened. The fight against the flesh is already won, and Jesus won it on the cross when He was crucified. And that is what we're going to celebrate now. We're going to take uh, two and we're going to together.